to Unfortunately Required Reading, a short story. My name is Amanda, and I'm flying solo today to bring you the story of two French bad boys of poetry in honor of LGBT Pride Month. Today I'm going to tell you about the stormy love affair of Paul Verlaine and Arthur Rimbaud. This episode is not safe for work and not suitable for younglings, as things are going to get pretty sexy and unfortunately a little stabby and a little shooty. Now, let's go into some history. Paul Verlaine was one of the French decadent poets, so when you pretty much think of a Frenchman, you're probably thinking of a decadent poet, um, and was born in 1844. He's actually most famous for writing the poem Claire de Lune, which is the inspiration to the Debussy uh, work of uh, music, which is, fun fact, one of my favorite pieces ever played on the theremin because I'm a giant nerd. Arthur Rimbaud was born in 1854. And maybe one of the most important French poets for his contributions towards what we would kind of consider to be modern poetry and literature, as well as being sort of on the forefront of what now we would consider to be surrealism and even a little bit of postmodernism. Depending on who you ask will depend on how much credit we give Rimbaud. This period of 19th century poets, we do give them a lot of credit for getting things started, but some people who like them more than others will sometimes give them too much credit and more credit than they deserve. Now, I was a very, very fiery soul, uh, famous for something called the asshole sonnet, which is one of my favorite things in literature ever, which he wiped his ass with a rival poet's uh, work. If that's not petty, I don't know what petty is. Now, here's the thing about poetry especially, is especially during this time, uh, it was very, very common to follow writers in the way that we think that you would follow a musician. And because, realistically, there's only about 10 years between Verlaine and Rimbaud, Rimbaud actually fell for Verlaine's poetry, which I think is actually kind of sweet. Um, and Verlaine was relatively famous during his life, unlike most writers. Uh, we tend to think of writers as being people who don't make a lot of money until after they're dead. Well, Verlaine was actually quite famous for his work. Uh, Rimbaud, of course, was Verlaine's junior, and was spending his time running away from formal schooling after uh, trying to run away from service from this thing called the Franco-Prussian War. And he spent most of that time writing. Verlaine, as I mentioned, was famous and was married to a lady who, depending on who you read, was fine. Uh, here's where I'm going to pause to talk about age a little bit. So Rimbaud definitely was younger than Verlaine. Uh, I think current estimates have Rimbaud at about 17 to Verlaine's 20-something. Uh, Verlaine's first wife was also a little bit younger, and I'm going to put a pin in that because that comes up later uh, when things all go to heck in a handbasket. Now, Rimbaud did what any 19th century lad would do when you find yourself attracted to someone via poetry. You write more poems and you write letters, and I think that's actually very romantic and very, very sweet. And it ends up that when Rimbaud shot his shot, it worked. Verlaine listened and did something that I consider to be one of the greatest power moves ever done in romance. We're talking like Christian Grey level of power moves. Wrote a letter back um, saying, and I quote, Come, dear great soul, we await you, we desire you. And then sent Rimbaud a one-way ticket to meet him. As a far move, take note sometimes. Now, these two burned hot and fast like a phoenix. Uh, it was a love affair because Verlaine was married to a lovely lady, and they spent actually a lot of time in London, 
which is quite sweet and quite interesting. They were very, very close, but their personalities seemed to bring out the worst in each other. Uh, there was a lot of substance abuse in this relationship. And by a lot, I mean a lot of absinthe, a lot of opium, a lot of hashish, just a lot. Realistically, all of the poets during this time had substance abuse problems, but especially when you bring two people together that abuse these substances, things got a little not so great. Uh, Rimbaud was the talk of the town because he was very, very bawdy, um, and liked to pick fights with people, and Verlaine was just doing his best. <laughs> Realistically, they were kind of cute together during that time because it was mostly Rimbaud being terrible and Verlaine thinking it was quite, uh, adorable and interesting. So, after two years, uh, the love had died. As you tend to do when your relationship is built mostly on sex and absinthe, and they decided to part. And by part, I mean Verlaine abandoned Rimbaud in London like a sad, pathetic child. <laughs> so that should have been the end of it. But it wasn't. After some time, the two decided that they missed each other, and they decided to meet in Brussels, uh, where Verlaine was traveling with his wife, because that is going to end very, very well. I'm using more sarcasm voice. It is in Brussels that everything goes to hell. After a heated argument, Verlaine shot Rimbaud in the wrist, and Verlaine was arrested because he did just shoot his damn lover in the wrist. For some reason, the arresting officer recorded what Rimbaud's penis looked like and said, and I quote, that it was short and not very voluminous. The arresting officer also had some not-so-nice things to say about Rimbaud's butt that I will keep out of this podcast lest I continue to scandalize you. Verlaine did confess to a priest uh, during his time of being incarcerated for shooting his lover in the damn wrist, and as he listed all of his sins to the priest, including infidelity, sodomy, and a lot of other things, the priest did ask, but you've never slept with animals. Uh, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I can say if that is what your priest is asking you during confession, you've already done the most. This is not a pairing that got together happily ever after, and realistically, probably for the best. Uh, Verlaine returned to his wife, and Rimbaud died young and tragi tragic after traveling on his own for some time. Uh, things did individually get better for these two, if you ignore the fact that Rimbaud died young. There's a lot to this story that I'm leaving out, mostly because it gets a little bit graphic and it's just sort of sad, um, which leads to maybe why I'm covering this when it comes to Pride Month. Shouldn't this be exuberant and happy and everyone should be okay and the puppy is just fine? Well, yes and no. So I chose this for my short story because, well, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people assume that poetry is boring, and oftentimes the lives of poets are what make their work fascinating. I doubt that most of you knew about Verlaine's contribution to classical music, and I'm not shaming you for it. I didn't until I had to take a class on it. Most people probably don't know about Rimbaud and how crazy he was. It's hard to think of poetry as boring when you have characters like these that were so much larger than life. And I do truly think if we paid attention to the lives of poets, we wouldn't find their work boring. Having this context behind these two complicated men helps contextualize their work, and it helps contextualize the time period that they were living in that was actually remarkably queer, fluid, and open. 
Keep in mind, Verlaine did not face much criticism on his relationship until he consulted a Catholic priest. None of his friends, readers, anyone had any problem with his relationship with a younger man. And if anything, for Rimbaud's end to Verlaine, everyone thought that it was a pretty good idea. Even some of uh, Rimbaud's mentors, like Baudelaire, who I believe we're covering later on, had very little issue with their union. So that part of it is a good thing to keep in mind when it comes to pride. We mentioned this in our primer and in our episode on Sappho, that a lot of our framing around homosexuality is rooted in some rather patriarchal and fundamentalist forces. Art knows no bounds when it comes to that, and these two men were drawn to each other through a mutual aesthetic bond, and I think that's beautiful. The idea that you can fall for someone just purely based on their words and then build a relationship out of that, though it may be fleeting and brief and may not be good for either of you, is romantic. Capital R romantic, not lowercase r romantic. This happens to be a wonderful example of when sex, sexuality, and attraction all come together to make some beautiful, beautiful music. Well, at least for a little while, before things got all stabby. Now, I have some resources for you. Uh, Wikipedia, because I am not in control of my life. Uh, 10 Ways to Recycle a Corpse and 100 More Distasteful List by Carl Shaw. This was actually one of my favorite books, so definitely give it a shot. And Six French Poets of the 19th Century. Uh, it's an Oxford World Classic, and I still have my copy from when I was in school. I wish you all a happy pride, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, for the love of God, go read a book. <laughs>